0: fathers like to uh, yeah just thank you so much for your word uh, yeah thank you that uh, we can come under it uh, pray father that we uh, would humble ourselves um, that yeah we would just to be uh, able just to think about our own lives uh, think about our relationship with you uh, help us to consider um, how we might live as your holy people and uh, yeah just help us to also to consider all the riches of your grace uh, thank you in Jesus name amen uh, so Ephesians chapter 5 I'll start reading from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the, the, the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so, so also wives should submit, their, submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to, the, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but i am talking about Christ and the church however each one of you also must love his wife and and he who as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband this is God's word.
1: Thanks, Ray, for reading the word to us. Now, friends, we're starting a new series today. Um, I'm really excited about the series. I actually think it's, know I say that a lot, but I'm genuinely excited about the series. So I think it's one of the most important series we do as a church, because it's actually going to reshape and lay foundations for what we believe is important. What, what are we doing here? Who are we? How does that affect um, our Christian life? It all comes back to us really understanding why church matters. Now, I wonder, how much does church matter to you? I assume that it does matter to you because you're here today. Uh, you've taken the effort to get up early, come along to church, drag the kids kids along maybe, and you've come along today. But, you know, not everyone feels like that. Now, across our country, uh, church attendance is declining. Uh, there's less and less people in church. Uh, but even amongst Christians, people feel differently about church, don't they? Uh, Recent research has actually shown that Christians, so these are people who are believers, who trust in Jesus, um, they're attending church less regularly than they were before. And this was pre-COVID, actually, they found this. Uh, The surveys have shown that only 60 to 70% of church members attend on any given Sunday. This means that every week, over a quarter of the church is missing from churches around our country. And then there was this little thing called COVID, right? Do you guys remember COVID? Yeah? that little thing, that it made us rethink church, didn't it? When you think about it. For some of us, um, it was so much less exhausting when in-person church stopped. Uh, We didn't have to get up early. uh, We didn't have to serve. uh, We could do church at home in our pajamas. Um, It sounds sort of bad to say this, but some of us enjoyed that, didn't we? Like, it was sort of relaxing. And it made us question something. Do we even need to gather in person at all i mean you can stream church from home you can find the best sermons around the best music and you can do church from your living room how good's that why does church matter it raises some important questions what is church and why does it matter what's church for uh, what's its purpose what's my part in it our new series that we're kicking off today will help us answer some of those questions help us to actually build biblical foundations to keep us going and seeing what God thinks about church, not just what our opinion is about church. And if we get this right, it will transform the way we see this community here and our Christian lives as a whole. So, just to prepare, just to prepare you guys, this is going to be the biggest one out of the series because it's the first uh, one in the series, and I've been given the topic of that. You know, that small topic of just like, what is church? You know. Why, why does it matter? So buckle up, okay? You need to stay sharp for this sermon. We'll be going through a few Bible passages. Uh, keep your Bibles open. You can flip there, but they'll be coming up on the screen too because there's a few passages. We're laying some core foundations for the rest of the series, so we'll be working hard today, okay, just to prepare yourselves mentally. Buckle up, okay? It'll be worth it, trust me. So two big parts of the sermon today. Uh, number one is What is church? just to get a base working definition for church, and we'll we'll keep building on that definition as our series goes along, because there's so many factors there about what is a church. Um, And the second part of the sermon will be why the church matters to God, okay? The first thing, what is church? Now, the word church is used in many different ways. You might have heard the word church used to describe a denomination like the Anglican church or the Presbyterian church. Um, You might... Uh, I've heard the word used to describe uh, a place. You know, you, you come to CPE, church. Uh, there's lots of different ways that you use uh, the word church. And those, those meanings of the word, they're, they're fine. You know, they're things that have language have developed to use as church. But if we look into the Bible, we need to see that there's something at the very core of the word church, what church means. And at the core of what church means is it's about people. It's about people. The word translated church in our new testaments uh, i don't normally like to use greek and stuff like that but just to give you a little bit to show i have been to bible college um the, the word translated church in our new Testaments is ecclesia which means assembly or gathering right it's not a strictly religious word so non-non-believers uh, they use this word as well to describe gatherings and crowds and things like that but the uh, um, but the early christians they actually adopted this word ecclesia church to describe themselves because at the very core of who they were were that they were people that gathered, they were people that came together, they were a community. That's why they use this word. And although we see the birth of the modern church in the book of Acts, which we looked at um, earlier on, this gathering has always been significant for God's people, even way back in the Old Testament. One of the most important gatherings, assemblies of God's people was at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, right after God had liberated his people, Israel, from Egypt, um, you know, through the Red Sea, all the plagues, things like that. He had liberated his people and brought them out into the wilderness, and he gathered them together at Mount Sinai. And Moses reflects on this experience in Deuteronomy 4. It's coming up on the screen. Have Have a read of this, Deuteronomy 4. Let me read. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. Deuteronomy 4. And here we see this very early version of church. Yeah? And you see some key features already coming out here. That church isn't just a random crowd. It's not just a random collection of people. It is a gathering of God's people. Did you see that? God's people gathered. And what are they doing? they gathered in worship together to hear God's word. Did you notice that? They come together. assemble the people before me to what? To hear my words so that they may learn to revere me. God's at the center of church. God's people gathered in worship to hear his word there's a purpose here but i don't know if you notice as i read this description of the early old testament version of the church um, there's something there too that's a bit unsettling this isn't a place this isn't really church that i'd like to come to did you see the description there Um, this is sort of what it looked like you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while blazed with fire To the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness then the lord spoke to you out of the fire it's a fearsome unsettling experience to come to church in the old testament you know why because god is the utterly holy god of the entire universe and we are sinful people drawing near to his presence i wouldn't want to come Imagine if that was CPE Church, every time you came on Sunday, there was a huge cloud of darkness over the church, fire blazing on the top, and if you accidentally touched the stage, you would die. Because it was so holy, right? I wouldn't want to come to church. It's scary. It's a genuinely fearsome experience. But that isn't our experience now. That's not how we feel about church now. And let me take you to one of the keystone passages to understand church, Hebrews 12, where it actually compares this church at Mount Sinai to the church that we are part of right now. Okay, so Hebrews 12, verse 18. Have a look on the screens with me. Um, This is the writer of Hebrews reflecting on this gathering, um, talking to the modern-day church. "'You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm,' to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words to those who heard it uh, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded if even an animal touches the mountain it must be stoned to death the sight was so terrifying that moses said i am trembling with fear do you, do you see that experience of church back then it was it was fearsome it was it was moses was trembling with fear that's not our experience what is it the passage goes on But you have come to Mount Zion. That's a metaphor for the heavenly church. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here we see a picture of church and it's a very different gathering, isn't it? Did you notice? Did you notice the feel? It's a picture of the heavenly church and it's incredible. Imagine it. Imagine that picture. Thousands upon thousands of angels singing in joyful assembly. Every single believer in all of history gathered there imagine that you go hey Moses what's up man like Elijah all the, all the prophets all the previous saints and just every regular Christian that's been in history they're gathered and what sort of assembly is it it's not a fearsome ga- assembly did you see what it said it says um, the angels were gathered in joyful assembly the end of verse 22 joyful assembly the key characteristic here is not fear but joy rejoicing Praise, worship. What's the difference? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Verse 24. Jesus, the one who mediates for us, the one who speaks to the Father on our behalf and says to to our Father God, they are with me. I've forgiven all their sins. They're with me. This is an incredible picture of the heavenly church, an incredible picture. We can draw near to God without fear because Jesus is standing there speaking on our behalf. It's an incredible picture. But it gets even more mind-blowing, all right? I'm going to keep developing this picture because look at verse 22, look at verse 22, right? What does it say? It says, it doesn't say you will come to the heavenly Jerusalem, the Mount Zion. It says, you have come. You have come. It's the past tense. And you don't have to be a grammar expert to know what that's trying to tell us here. It's saying that we're already there. We're already there. It's already happened. Let me ask you a question. Um, Where are you right now? Well, you might say you're sitting in a plastic chair in a old converted warehouse in the middle of Cooper's Plains and you'll be right in saying that in one sense but at the same time you need to understand something. At the very same time that you are here spiritually you are raised with Christ and you're gathered in the heavenly places assembled around the throne of God praising with thousands of angels and every single believer in history. That's happening right now physically here, but spiritually gathered in the heavenly places, with the church of God, in joyful worship. That's what Scriptures is telling us. And it's not just here, all throughout Scriptures it keeps coming up with that. In Ephesians 2, it tells us the fact that now we have been raised with Christ and we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. This is the reality of the now, physically here, spiritually gathered in heaven. How does this work? To be honest, I don't know. This is is a mind-blowing concept. I'm just a normal guy. I'm not really sure, but this is God's plan. He tells us this is happening right now. We're physically here, but spiritually gathered with thousands of angels singing. We're worshipping around the throne of God. We're with every believer in history, united with one voice. It's pretty incredible. What are the implications of this? First one is this. We don't just go to church, we are the church. Let me say that again, we don't just go to church, we are the church. Church is not simply a building, it's not simply an event that happens on Sunday. Church is who we are, right? This is our identity as Christians. We are the church. Church, you need to understand that. We are the church. Church is about people, God's people, gathered in worship to hear His word and praise Him together. This is inherent to our identity. You can't separate it out, okay? Because it's happening right now in the heavenly places, even if we can't see it. That's what we're doing. So you are still part of the church. Let me, let me tell you this. You're still part of the church when you leave this building, okay? It doesn't stop. You are not only a church when you are at church on Sundays. You are the church. When you're sitting behind your computer entering data into spreadsheets on Monday. When you're at home changing nappies, when you're out having a coffee with a friend, you are part of the church. You are the church. This is not an optional extra. This is what happens when you get saved. Here's the thing, church is not something you opt into. Church is something that you're brought into. Okay, let me say that again. Church is not something you opt into. Church is something you're brought into because God brings you into His family. That's not your choice, it's His. When you are saved, when you're united to Christ by faith, when you participate in His death and resurrection and you get His forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins, when you get reconciled back to God our Father and you can draw near to Him again, when you can draw near to God's uh, to God and together with all of his people in joy and not fear. When all of these things happen, that's when you become part of the church. That moment when you are united with Christ in faith. When that happens, you're connected into a new community. You become part of a new people. You're adopted into a new family. And you gather in the heavenly places with generations of believers before you praising God. God does this. This is God's work. Friends, we don't just go to church. We are the church. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. The second implication is this. We gather physically to express who we are spiritually. Okay? We gather physically to express who we are spiritually. Now, Friends, if we get the first point, then this point should be a no-brainer, really. What, what, do, we, what do we do? Well, like, why, why do we gather here on a Sunday, not just sometimes, but every single week? Why do we come here? Because it's who we are. It's who we are. Right? This is our identity. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. All right? It doesn't make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you will go to church. Just think about it. Think about how identity shapes who you are. Think about your family, for example. So um, I'm a Wong, Uh, I'm part of the Wong family, my parents are here, Uh, I've got two brothers, and um, there's nothing that will change the fact that I'm a Wong, part of the Wong family. It's in my blood, no matter how much I would want to get out of the family even, I wouldn't, because I'm part of that family. It's my identity, it's who I am, okay? Nothing will change that. But there'll be something very odd, something missing if we were a family that never gathered together. If we were a family that never saw each other, a family that never talked to each other, a family that never connected to each other, a family that never loved each other or served each other, we wouldn't cease being family, would we? But you'd say that there's something missing there, something not quite right there, that we are actually living out who we are. And I think that's the same way for God's family here, right now at CPE. If you recognize who you are, that you're a part of a new people, that you are part of God's church, that you are a new family in Christ, then you will seek to live that out at every single opportunity that you can. And when you do that, that's, you're living out who God's made you to be. You are the church. That word literally means gather, gathering, right? Assembly. Every time we gather, think about this. Every time, what we're doing right now, every time we do this, something very special is happening. We're reflecting what's happening in heaven right now. Joyful assembly, thousands of angels and believers singing praises to God. The heavenly reality of a multitude up there gathering around in joyful praise. We're reflecting this right now. Every time we gather as a physical church and that is very special. Don't ever forget that. Friends, what is the church? Well, church is the people of God gathered together in worship to hear His Word, gathered together in Christ, I would add, to hear His Word. And this isn't just a Sunday thing. If you are a believer, you are part of the church all the time, everywhere you go, no matter where you are, because this is what's happening in heaven right now. You're part of the heavenly church. And you express that in a special way every time you gather physically together. Right? Friends, that's really important. This really really matters and let me show you why we're at our next point why church matters to God why church matters to God the first point I got under here is this the church is at the center of God's purposes we're going to go to a passage from Ephesians 3 and Ephesians is a book that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus uh, in the early church and let me read from verse 8 Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Quite complex, but stay with me. Uh, Verse 10, this is where the key is. His intent, God's intent, was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, it's a complex passage, but let me try and sum up by this. Why does church matter to God? Well, the church is actually the showcase of God's wisdom and glory. Let me say that again. The church is the showcase of God's wisdom and glory. All right? The church is a place where God's Wisdom is displayed to the whole world. Did you see that in verse 10? Yeah, his manifold wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly world. The universe is looking on at the church and they're seeing something. In this chapter, it talks about the uh, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I think that's talking about the angels and the heavenly authorities watching the church. Um, In the book of Colossians, it also talks about evil rulers and authorities. Uh, uh, Satan and his minions, the demons and and evil spirits, they're watching the church as well. The whole universe is watching the church and God's showing them something. What do they see? Well, verse 12, firstly, have a look at verse 12. Uh, Firstly, they see a people reconciled back to God. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This isn't like Mount Sinai where you're scared to approach God. Now we're reconciled to God. We can come back to Him. We talked about this before. Brought back into the family through Christ. Coming near to God because of Christ, right? That's the first thing the universe sees when they look at the church, a people reconciled back to God. But there's something else here too. They also see a people reconciled to each other. Let me read from verse 8 again. Although I am the le- less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, which are non-Jews, not Israel, the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 9 talks about a mystery. What's the mystery being talked about here? What's the thing that's been hidden away Uh, for ages, but is now made clear. What's that mystery? Well, it's the fact that everyone, everyone, not just Israel, not just Jews, but everyone can now be part of God's people. That even Gentiles, you notice Paul's mentioning Gentiles specifically, that even Gentiles, pagan worshippers of foreign gods, so despised enemies of God, that they can now come in to the family, and be recipients of God's boundless riches in Christ. That's what it says, the boundless riches of Christ. That The mystery is this, that we now see through scriptures, that people who hate each other, who despise each other, who, can't, who don't want anything to do with each other, can now come together, not just as friends, but as family, and love each other. That they can be united as a new people sharing the same faith, the same Lord, the same Savior. That a random collection of people with different cultures, different languages, different values, different colors can sometimes, somehow, in some incredible way, be one people now, singing the praises of God together, united. We're gonna go in depth into this topic next week, so I won't say too much more for now, but for for now, I just want you to note something. That when you look at the church, it's actually incredible. Right? It's actually incredible. When you look at the church, what do you see? You see a collection of random people that normally would have nothing to do with each other, united, together, in praise to one God, one Savior, one faith. They're all reconciled to the same God. And because of that, they're all reconciled to one another. And this is amazing. It's amazing. Now, I often see on social media um, parents posting up uh, pictures of their kids um, and they post up pictures of their kids uh, doing stuff. It could be as simple as, oh, my kid ate food this morning for the first time or it could be they won the subject award or, you know, my kid uh, got into the district team for um, soccer or something like that. And the reason parents do this is because they're proud parents, right? They're proud parents. Uh, Let's be honest. They're trying to show off. Don't worry. I've done it before as well. Uh, parents are good, but they're proud of their kids and what their kids have achieved. They want to show the world. Well, God's sort of like that with His church. He's saying to all the angels in heaven, guys, have a look at my church. Have you seen it? Have you seen what's happening here? There's a people that have come together and they love each other and they're so different and they have otherwise would have nothing to do with each other, but they're coming together every, uh, all the time and they're serving each other. They're loving each other. They're united together. It's incredible. Guys, have a look at this. And then he's also saying this. Um, He's saying to Satan and all the evil powers as well, he's saying, hey, look at my church. You thought you could win. You thought you could uh, work to just um, cause hate and hostility and fighting, and you thought you could just tear apart humanity. Well, look at my church. You haven't won. I have. the difference between a proud parent and God showing off his church is, we didn't achieve anything. It's entirely his work. As God shows the universe his church, the universe can only respond by saying, you are amazing, God. How did you do that? Your plans are so good. You are so wise. The manifold wisdom of God shown." All glory to you, praise, honor, glory, power to you, God, because of the church. Do you see why church matters to God? You see? It matters. It is the center of all His purposes. We might not think of church as a showcase of God's glory and wisdom. Uh, Sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed about the church, let's be honest, aren't we? Uh, But the church is actually the way of God's way of declaring to the world that sin's defeated, that He's the King, that there's a new community here and that He deserves all the glory. That's why church matters to God. That's the first reason. But the second reason is this, and it's much simpler, but it's very profound. God loves the church. God loves the church. And here we get to the passage we read before. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Savior. Based on profound truths about Christ and his church. That's the ultimate relationship that's on view here, and that shapes how husbands and wives act towards each other. Now, if you got the wrong view of Christianity, you might think this about Jesus and his church, how he feels about his church. You might see Jesus as sort of like a strict teacher, you know? Sort of like, you know, Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Do you guys have you guys read read that? I watched the movie with my kids again recently. Um, someone, you know, you might see Jesus as this figure who's sort of there, uh, setting lots of rules for us, um, waiting to dish out punishment, waiting till we stuff up, right? Um, That even as his church, he's sort of looking down at us with disdain, that he's sort of like, you know, God the Father, like, reluctantly forced him to take us in. He's like, oh, okay, guess I'll take them, you know, these ratbag bunch of people who never listen to me. Maybe you think that's what Jesus is like, but the picture that Scripture gives us is Couldn't be further from the truth, right? Do you see what it says? Jesus, actually, is like a loving husband that adores his bride, loves his bride, absolutely smitten, adores his bride, the church, you and me. People who are so sinful, so imperfect. Yeah, he loves us. Now, as a pastor, I've been to more weddings than I can count, right? Like I, I literally cannot count how many weddings I've been to. Um, but a part I always love about the wedding um, is after prob- probably after about uh, one to two hours after the scheduled start time, the bride comes in. Okay, uh, so what? What normally what happens is everybody stands up. Uh, they look towards that door. The door opens, and the bride comes in, and everyone's just like, "Wow." Look at her, you know, big, big smiles in everyone's faces, this glorious, beautiful bride walking in. And everyone's got their eyes on the bride coming in, rightfully so. Um, but what I like to do at that moment is I like to take a sneaky peek at the groom. So I turn around and have a look at the groom, because I love seeing the groom's face, right? They've always got this massive smile on their face, just like, uh, it's, it's hard to describe, this joy that you just can't, can't, can't articulate. You know, an expression of joy that is indescribable. And there is no doubt that this groom absolutely adores his bride, loves his bride. And that's how Christ looks at us. Like a loving husband towards his bride. Loves his church. Adores his church. Not because we're perfect, but because he just loves us. I know this to be true without a doubt, because of what Christ does for His bride. Do you know what it says? Christ loved the church so much that He gave Himself up for the church. Right? Because God the Son stepped down from His heavenly throne. He came into this universe, made Himself nothing. And He died the death of a criminal on a wooden cross in suffering and in shame, bearing the Father's wrath upon Himself. He took all of that upon Himself and gave everything, gave his very life, gave his very life. He was killed for his bride, for you, for me, for his church. Why would he do such a thing? Because he loves us. That's all there is to it. He loves us. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Christ loved the church into existence. We wouldn't be here without Christ's love. His love is the thing that births the church, that wins us from sin, makes us a new family, makes us His bride. When we were at our worst, sinful, selfish, idle, worshipping sinners who wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ, He came for us. He pursued us out of love. And His great love transforms us from enemies to a beloved bride. What a transformation. His great love saves us and his great love sanctifies us. Have a look at verse 25 on the screen for me. Uh, do you see what it says? Uh, Husbands, love your wives. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There is a sense in Christ's eyes when he looks at us, we are holy already. That's what sanctify means, to be made holy. We are his beloved church. And when he looks at us, he doesn't just pick out, he's not there to pick out all our flaws and imperfections and sin, right? It's like a loving husband comforting an insecure wife. You know, he says, you're perfect to me. Don't worry because Christ's death has paid for our sins already He's washed us, made us clean, that's the reality but there's also a very real sense that we're still works in progress that through the word God's powerful word we're being transformed bit by bit we're being cleansed by the washing of water through the word day by day to be a truly perfect church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish just holy and blameless and we'll celebrate that when Christ returns for us on that final day for his bride. Friends, it's probably um, the biggest understatement in the world to say this, but the church is really special to God. Yeah, It's very, very special to God. We are very special to God. He loves the church so much that he would give his very life for the church. Not just to forgive individuals, but to bring together a whole new people as his bride. United as one united by the fact that we are all recipients of his great love for us. He wins for himself a beautiful bride and he rejoices in us. He rejoices in us. The church matters to God, friends, so it should matter to you. And we're gonna finish with how it affects us. Why church should matter to you. Let's be honest, for all of us here, sometimes we think to ourselves, Uh, we'd be better off without the church. You know, we don't need the church. It's pretty inconvenient. Um, It's very messy. Um, People are in the church that are uh, not that great. They hurt me. I've been hurt by the church. Uh, There's sin in the church. There's complications in the church. People always disappoint us in the church, don't they? People don't think the way they should, that I do. And, you know, they don't consider my feelings It's so imperfect. You might even say sometimes that the church is a bit ugly. It's a bit ugly. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I see that sometimes, more than most of you. But I want us all to see the church like God does. I want us all to see the church as his beloved, precious bride. The church is so precious to God, so precious to God, Think about it. It's at the center of all His purposes and plans. It's the place that He's chosen to reveal His wisdom and glory to the entire universe. He really cares about the church. It's also the object of His great love. The church is His bride, which He died for to save her and sanctify her. Nothing matters more to God than His church. Nothing matters more to God than His church. And if that's the case, then it should matter to us, shouldn't it? Wouldn't it? The 19th century Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon has a great quote about the church. It's, it's, it says this, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I'd found one, I should have spoiled it for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Speaking truth there, still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. The dearest place on earth. Friends, despite all its flaws, the church is the dearest place on earth to us, or it should be, because it's the dearest place on earth to God. I wonder if this is how you see the community here at CPE. I pray today that maybe your eyes will be open to love the church as much as Christ loves the church. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you have chosen us to be your people. People who, let's put it this way, we didn't deserve to have this privilege. People who didn't want anything to do with you, that were alienated far off, worshipping idols, caring only for ourselves, yet by your grace you chose to save us, that Christ came down and gave his life for us to make us a brand new people, to bring us into the family, to reconcile us back to you. And Father, we're sorry for the times that maybe we haven't seen the church like you see the church, that we've maybe put ourselves at the center of church rather than you. And please forgive us For that. Help us to see your grand purposes in the church and help us to love your people as much as you love us. And we pray all of this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Friends,